Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. You know this message that you're about to hear. I pray that it not only inspires you, but encourages you to follow Jesus even more. In fact, there are probably people in your life who need to hear this timely word. Chances are you're thinking about them right now. Share this message with them. And listen, if you're watching on YouTube, let me encourage you to hit subscribe, stay tapped in. You know, I also wanna take the time to thank all those who support us. We wouldn't have any ministry outside these four walls if it weren't for our friends who come alongside us in prayer and supporting us financially. You know, there are thousands, there are thousands who are benefited by this ministry because of your giving, and we thank you. To continue or to even start supporting our mission to help others and their families follow Jesus, you can give by visiting cfmiami.org slash give. We also wanted to update you on something important. Recently, our on-demand services will be available starting Sunday evenings. To catch the entire service, be sure that you're logging onto our live streams when we begin services Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.45 a.m., and 12.30 p.m. Otherwise, you'll be catching the service midway through. Enjoy this sermon. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, we're praying that the Lord would lead us to the cross tonight. Pour ourselves out before the Lord of heaven. He gave his all for you. Come on, won't you give him a shout of praise? Amen and amen. What's up, family? How you guys doing tonight? Amazing, amazing. And what is up to everybody tuning in online from coast to coast and beyond? Can we give it up for everybody watching us live right now? Man, if you are new around here, my name is Tucker. I get the privilege of being actually the campus pastor right here at the Palmetto Bay campus. And I love you guys deeply, and it's my privilege to open up the scriptures with you. There are a few things I love more in life. Jesus, my wife, my boys, and then preaching God's word. And so, come on, we're ready to have some fun tonight. I don't know about you guys, but I'm coming expecting tonight. I'm believing that the Lord has something to say to us. We're not here just to play church. We're here to meet with the living God and for him to transform us from the inside out. Our, our text today is coming out of the book of John, chapter 19. We actually heard some of these verses already this evening. But let me just read it one more time and pray, and we'll hop into this thing. God's word reads like this in John 19, verse, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you guys pray with me? Father, Lord, we just sang our hearts out because you are the only one who is worthy of our praise and our adoration. And Lord, you are the one who is glorious and victorious. And so Lord, we pray because you are all of those things, because you have all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, that you would open our minds, you would open our hearts to hear what the Spirit would say to his church tonight. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in this place, and for one reason or another, they're coming in heavy, God. I pray that today, Lord, you would lift their heads and encourage their hearts, God. 
I pray for those who are in this room or watching me online, Lord, that they're right now, Lord, they are not a follower of Jesus. Lord, they're on their way. They're in a collision course with hell, but I pray that by the end of this message, they would be on their way to heaven, Jesus. Lord, we're believing for incredible things because you are an incredible God. So would you, Lord, fill me with your spirit right now. Would you open our minds? Would you open our hearts and speak for your church is listening? In Jesus' name, all my saints said? Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. So I think that in our culture today, we are pretty obsessed with saviors. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, like there's something about somebody who gives their life in, in service to, to other people, often at risk of their own life. I mean, all you've got to do is look at the primetime lineup any night of the week. What do you have? You have shows about doctors. You have shows about police. You have shows about firefighters. And obviously, there is the ever-present reality of superhero movies that, like, I swear, one comes out every single month, it feels like. But, you know, I, I think despite our obsession with, with heroes, and with saviors. One of, one of my personal favorites actually is a guy, he, he comes from a galaxy far, far away. He's a little bit rough around the edges. His best friend is an incredibly hairy individual and he is the captain of the Millennium Falcon. Who am I talking about? Yes, Han Solo, the scoundrel himself, right? If you don't know this already, uh, I am a Star Wars nerd, and I own it very proudly. If you are not, come forward afterwards. We will pray for you. <laughs> no, but, but there's something that I just love about the whole Star Wars saga. When we first meet Han Solo, he, he's a smuggler who's after not much more other than just money, just getting the next payday. But not too far into the story, we start to learn that we can count on Han Solo. We, we start to believe that he is gonna show up. We start to have this expectation that he is gonna show up and save the day. And he does over and over and over again throughout the saga. But would it surprise you that the actor who plays Han Solo, Harrison Ford, is a savior all in his own right? True story. Back in 2001, there was a 13-year-old Boy Scout by the name of Cody Clawson who got lost in the wilderness outside of Yellowstone National Park. Now, now Cody, he, he got lost and, and the sun began to go down and he found some shelter in a cave and he spent a very cold, very wet, raining, sleeting, for those of us who've never left South Florida, sleet is rain mixed with snow, <laughs> okay? Just keeping everybody up to date. And he spends this entire night and he survives the night. And then when he wakes up in the morning, he can hear helicopters, he can hear planes and, and he leaves the cave and, and he knows, right? He's a boy scout. I've got, to, I've got to figure out how to signal one of these aircraft that's flying around. And so he finds a, a meadow and because he's a boy scout, he uses what he has. He uses his belt buckle, which this is Wyoming. I'm guessing it's probably pretty large. And, and he uses it to reflect the sun at this particular helicopter. And the helicopter notices him, it sees him, and it begins to come and it lands in this clearing. And he begins to approach the helicopter. Would you believe that Han Solo himself steps off of the Millennium Falcon and says, good morning. True story. Can you imagine being this kid? Like, that was not what he was expecting. I'm sure he expected that maybe a search and rescue team member, a police officer, a, a fire rescue person, just somebody, but Harrison Ford, like Han Solo himself, steps off and says, good morning. Han Solo, uh, sorry, Harrison Ford, apparently 
apparently uh, heard about what was going on, hopped in his own helicopter, because if you're Harrison Ford, you do things like that. And he flies around and, and he finds this young boy and he lands his helicopter and he rescues him. And like I said, I can't imagine being Cody. I mean, all the things that he would have expected, Harrison Ford was probably the most unexpected savior that day. Can I tell you guys? I think that Jesus is an unexpected savior. Hallelujah. I think that Jesus is an unexpected savior in a number of different ways, so much so that the title of our talk today is Jesus, the unexpected savior. But what made Jesus such an unexpected savior? That's what I wanna unpack from these verses and the surrounding ones this evening. If you're taking notes, write this down as number one. If you're not taking notes, repent of your sin and write it down anyways. <laughs> number one, he was fully relatable. What made Jesus such an unexpected savior? He was fully relatable, right? There's something in our world today about a savior that, that they seem kind of larger than life, right? Especially when you look at superhero movies, they've got superpowers or they're at least super rich billionaires and they just seem like, wow, you're really cool and you're amazing, but like, I'm not so much like you. Like you're on a whole nother level than I'm living in my life, but that's not Jesus. He was fully relatable. Look at what it says in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Stop right there. When he says, I thirst, that is not some spiritual euphemistic, I thirst for the presence of the Father. It's not what he's saying, right? He's not using some metaphor. What Jesus is saying, according to the original Greek, I'm thirsty. He was parched. Did you know that Jesus got thirsty? Despite being the son of God, he still lived in the reality and, and the confines of humanity and in a human body. He got thirsty. He got tired, right? There's this story in the gospels where Jesus has been doing ministry so much, he is exhausted. He hops into a boat with his disciples and they begin to head out across the lake or, or the sea and, and Jesus falls asleep on a cushion. And then all of a sudden, this massive storm comes up and, and, and the disciples are freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. And Jesus, out cold. He's like, nah, I'm sleeping all the way through this thing. And the disciples come to him and they're like, wake him up. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care, we're perishing. And Jesus is like, bro, chill and everything gets calm, right? Anybody ever been that tired? Every new parent is like, Lord Jesus, yes, every single day. <laughs> I experienced that this last week. My youngest, Milo, I'm throwing that dude right under the bus right now. Man, this kid, he usually sleeps fantastic, but a few nights ago, I'm there and we're getting ready to go to bed, right? The kids have been down for hours now and we got done watching TV or whatever. I get up to go brush my teeth and all of a sudden, ah! like, child, don't you do this to me. Grab him, grab bottle. All right. Ah! Nope, another bottle. All right, lay him down. No, child, I tried everything. So I don't know what your go-to is when your kids don't sleep, but mine is the stroller. I'm a weirdo. Like I got the kid in the stroller. It's like 11 p.m. at night and I'm like walking down the street, walking down the street. So I like walk all the way to the end of the block. I check, dude's out. All right, we're good. Walk back. Pick him up, take him in, lay him down. Ah, no, 
Child, somebody exercise the demons out of this child. What is going on right now? Take him, put him in, literally full block walk, one full mile, come back, lay him down. Dear Lord Jesus, please. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Finally, he goes to sleep. Are you tired? Are you just exhausted? Are you an entrepreneur that is at the end of your rope? Are you a new parent? Do you have like twins? Like, are you parenting toddlers? Are you going through hard things in life and you are exhausted? Jesus gets it. Jesus got tired. There's another thing listed right here in our passage that I think probably hits close to home for many of us, either in the room or watching online. Back in verse 26, it says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's about to die. And he sees his mama standing right in front of him. And he sees his best friend standing right in front of him. If Jesus is calling, you should answer that. If not, probably not. <laughs> and he's there in that moment with his mama right in front of him and his best friend. And he's, he's, he, they're like right on the, the cusp of death and, and this family is, is around one another. And I wonder how many of us have been through that in the last week, the last month, over the course of the last year. Somebody who's been, been a part of my small group just, just lost their mom. I know another guy, he, he just recently lost his best friend to a horrible accident. What I want us to, to get tonight is that Jesus gets it. Jesus gets us. Like, like, are you experiencing the loss of someone close to you? Jesus is right there in that moment with you. Maybe it's not losing a loved one. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's temptation. Like we have these temptations and it's despite the fact that we love Jesus and we wanna follow Jesus, these temptations, they just keep coming again and again and again. Hebrews chapter four and verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What temptation is plaguing your life? Can I tell you that Jesus has been through that temptation? Is there something that just comes again and again and, and you feel like you fall into it over and over again and you're just like, I, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. Can I tell you that we do not serve a God who stood off in heaven, said, here's some commandments, good luck. No, 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 we serve a God who came down into the mess of humanity, said, these are the commandments, this is the way to live. I'm gonna walk that road for you. You've never faced a temptation that Jesus did not face himself personally. He gets you. Maybe it's not temptation. Maybe it's not losing a loved one. Maybe it's just garden variety suffering. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter five and verse eight. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Are you going through some suffering? Are you going through some hard times? Is money a little bit tight right now? Are you worried uh, about whether or not you're going to be able to pay rent? Are you worried about losing your home? Are you worried about how you're gonna fix your car? Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. What I want us to understand today is that Jesus is fully relatable. Whatever it is that you go through, whatever hardships you face, whatever loss you have experienced, whatever it is, Jesus gets us because Jesus is us. He was 100% human. 
He was 100% a man. And yet, and yet, hold on. Jesus is fully relatable because he's 100% man. But, 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 but. Write this down as number two. But he was wholly distinct. Jesus was fully relatable, but don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. He was wholly distinct. There's three different ways in this passage that we see Jesus being wholly distinct. You can write this down as A. First up, he fulfilled prophecy. He fulfilled prophecy. Look back at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. This, this where he says, I thirst, and they give him this sour wine. It is fulfilling the prophecy made uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before in Psalm 69, verse 21, that says, they gave me sour wine to drink. If you're not familiar, sour wine would be uh, like wine mixed with vinegar. It was not a highly sought after drink, but it was the drink of common soldiers and, and things like that. But what I want us to ponder just for a moment is if Jesus was just a mere man, some people would say, oh, Jesus knows the scriptures, so, so he knows that there's this messianic prophecy. And so he says, while well, he's up there, might as well, hey, I'm thirsty. Let me get a drink so I can fulfill some prophecy. But hold on, if he was a mere man, he would have no control over what beverage was there that day. Right? He would have no control over that if he was just a mere man. How about this? If Jesus was just a mere man, he would, be, he would not be in control of the soldiers gambling for his clothes. Look at verse 23, same chapter. Goes on and it says, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. This is fulfilling the prophecy made about Jesus, again, hundreds of years before in Psalm 22, verse 18. If Jesus was just a mere man, he wouldn't have control over what they were doing. The man is literally hanging on a cross. Even more, if Jesus was just a mere man, he wouldn't be in control of his legs not being broken. Look down at verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. This is fulfilling a prophecy from Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, which was about the Passover lamb and that the Passover lamb had to be spotless, unblemished, never having a bone broken. If Jesus was just a mere man, he would have no control. He's literally dead at this point. And yet he's fulfilling prophecy even as he is on a cross and dead. How about one more? If Jesus was just a mere man, he would have no control over the soldiers piercing his side. Look at verse 34, continuing on. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. This is fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 that says they will look on him in whom they have pierced. How? 
Like if Jesus is fully relatable and he's, he's a man just like you and I are a man, then, then how is it possible that a man could be fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy even while he's hanging on a cross, even while he is actually dead, he keeps fulfilling more and more prophecies. How is that possible? Let me tell you how it's possible because Jesus is not just the character in the story, Jesus is the author of the story. So the first way he's wholly distinct is that he fulfilled prophecy. Here's the second one. He said, it is finished. Jesus said, it is finished. You can write that down as B. Look back at our passage, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, what's finished? Those of us who have been around Christ Fellowship specifically, or really probably any church for a while, you probably already have heard that these three words, it is finished, is one Greek word, and it is tetelestai or tetelestai, depending on where your pastor learned his Greek. Uh, um, but it, it, it is a, it's an accounting term, and it would mean paid in full. See, this would be something that if you had a bill and the bill had been paid, they would stamp Tetelestai at the bottom of that bill, paid in full. So, so what is finished? What is paid in full? Honestly, there's probably a manifold number of implications to that one phrase when Jesus is there on the cross, but for sure, he's talking about the work of salvation is finished. But in particular, in particular, the atonement is finished and the cleansing is finished. I know that because of one key word, and it's the word hyssop. Let me read verse 29 one more time. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Why is that word hyssop there? John could have easily have just said they put it on a branch and they stuck it up and Jesus took a drink. But John, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, decided to include the fact that it was a hyssop branch. Can I tell you, no word in the Bible is there by accident. No word is in the Bible by happenstance. So what's the deal with the hyssop? Hyssop is used 12 times throughout the scriptures. This time, there's one other time that is talking about all the different things that Solomon wrote about. He wrote about a lot of stuff, including hyssop. I don't know why, but it was a cool plant to him. But the other 10 times, it had very specific context. The first one, the first time it's used is in the context of the Passover, all the way back in the book of Exodus as the children of Israel are getting ready to flee Egypt, they were to take hyssop and they were to dip it in the blood of a lamb or a sacrifice and to spread it over the doorpost of their house so that as the angel of death, the angel of the Lord would come over Egypt, he would pass over their house because the blood was covering over them. That's what the word atonement means that the blood atoned or covered over them. And so hyssop is used in the context of atonement. But every other time, the nine other times that it is used in the scriptures, it is always used in the context of cleansing. Cleansing a building, cleansing the temple, cleansing a person. It's always used in the context of cleansing. In fact, probably the, the best picture of it in the scriptures, the best explanation comes from Psalm 51 verse seven. It says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So this is why I think that, that when Jesus says it is finished, 
and the Holy Spirit led John to include that term hyssop, I believe that a key part of what it is finished means is that the atonement is finished and the cleansing is finished. You know, I already mentioned, I already threw my one son under the bus. Now I'm gonna throw both of them under the bus. Um, I love my kids, by the way. They're the best. Declan and Milo, those are my Gs. Um, I was prepared for a lot of things walking into fatherhood. Right? I had people help prepare me for, for loving my sons, help me prepare for disciplining them, help me prepare for being a godly father to them, all these kind of things. But do you know what? No one ever prepared me, I kid you not, no one ever even mentioned how many clothes my sons would destroy. And I don't mean their clothes, I mean my clothes. Like if you are an expectant father here, let me just give you a piece of advice. Go to Goodwill, buy like 10 ratty t-shirts, and then before you see your child, like sneak in the back door Run inside and change because as soon as you walk in and those little beautiful babies come and see you and you're like, oh, you're so cute. I love you so much. And you give them a big hug and, and they give you a big hug and then you put them down and you've got Cheetos on you. <laughs> or these greasy little fingers just with these grease stains in your shirts. Like, like, I, I, I have, like I have my, my like, not nice t-shirts and then my nice t-shirts. Those of you who, who go to church here regularly, you know what I'm talking about. Like today notwithstanding, I am a t-shirts and jeans to the glory of God kind of guy, right? And, and so, but I can't tell you how many of my t-shirts have been destroyed by my boys. But I gotta tell you this, my wife, God bless her, love you baby. Um, she's watching online because we got kids, we Christian, I'm a pastor, and which means everybody that we know is at church tonight, so no babysitters. <laughs> but my wife, she found she found the miracle thing. She found this miracle stain treatment. I kid you not, this stuff is the savior of my clothes. I'm for real. Like, like you put, you, you can take raspberries, you can take strawberries and you can grind them into a white shirt and just grind them all the way down into this thing and smear it around. And then you take this little miracle right here, this little savior and I kid you not, you were living in an infomercial. You literally watched that red stain disappear right before your eyes. Like, it is crazy. I didn't believe my own eyes the first time she showed me, but it is incredible. But I gotta tell you, the miracle stain remover works amazing with berries. But when it comes, when my boys blow out their diaper, mm-hmm, It gets mostly clean, <laughs> right? When it's some other mess, it gets mostly pure. Something else, it is mostly clean. Don't get me wrong, like it's clean, but that stain is still kind of there. Y'all, I came to tell somebody tonight that the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that though your sins are as scarlet, they will be made whiter than snow. Jesus, in his word, in 1 John 1, 9, it tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
I came to encourage somebody today. Maybe you're watching me online and you have sins that the enemy brings up over and over again and the guilt is on your shoulders and your head is downcast. I came to tell you that Jesus said it is finished, which means you are completely cleansed. You are not halfway cleansed. You are not almost cleansed. You are not a little cleansed. You are all the way cleansed because when Jesus says it is finished, he meant it. And my God doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't stutter. He says what he means and he means what he says. Come on and give him some praise. See, Jesus said it is finished. Because he's not just the starter. No, no, no. Jesus is the finisher, people. Jesus is the one who takes it all the way to the end zone. Jesus does not stop halfway, partway, or any way. He does not get distracted or deterred. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. And you can take that to the bank. Can I tell you that... The, the, the reformer, Martin Luther, he said that Christians need to preach the gospel to themselves every single day. I had a roommate a long time ago. He would always ask me, half jokingly, half serious. He's like, how many times have you repented today? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, it's 10 o'clock. You should have repented at least three times by now. I'm like, bro, chill. But it's so true. You gotta preach the gospel to yourself again and again and again. Why? Because we forget. Because the enemy comes in to condemn us, but you are not condemned. You are washed clean. It is finished. So live in the freedom, dear Christian, that Jesus bought for you. One more time. He is wholly distinct because he fulfilled prophecy. He said it is finished. One more, write it down to see. He gave up his spirit. Verse 30, right where we left off, one more time. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, we can't even touch this one. Because no matter who you are, no matter how many miles you run, no matter how much kale you eat, You have no control over when you will give up your spirit. It is appointed once for a man or a woman to die. And that is not up to you and it's not up to me. But it was up to Jesus. It says that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Some skeptics will look at that and be like, big deal, he died. But you gotta pay attention. The words are specific. It doesn't say that his spirit departed and his head slumped. No, no, no. First, he bowed his head willingly. He did it. Gravity didn't do that. Jesus bowed his head and then Jesus gave up his spirit. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. He let it go. He let it go. Because he knew that his work was complete. The job that he came to do was done. And so because of that, Jesus gave up his spirit. I almost guarantee every single person standing around that cross that day had a whole mix of emotions because this didn't seem right. This is Jesus. This is the guy that crowds were following. This is the guy who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind. And he fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. I mean, think about it. Two loaves, two fish, like it's a thing. Like this is Jesus. Jesus. 
and he dies and, and, and his mother is there and the disciples are around and they scatter and, and they can't quite wrap their heads around. We thought that this was the guy, he was the Messiah. And it seems like chaos. And it seems like evil has won. It seems like the enemy has triumphed. It seems like Satan is winning. But can I tell you that Jesus was not the victim of the cross because Jesus is the victor over the cross. No one took Jesus's life from him. He freely gave it so that you and I could be redeemed. He gave his life for you and me so that we could be accepted. He gave his life for you and me so that we could go to heaven. He gave his life for you and me so that heaven could come to earth in our lives so that we didn't have to deal with anxiety every day, that we could be at peace, that we could experience joy, that we could have love. This is the Savior. He did it. And I love Jesus. Because he did all that. And he's still a homie. He's fully relatable. I know that I can walk into his presence anytime and unload everything, good, bad, and ugly. And I know he's gonna accept me and love me. Do you know that? See, we're gonna respond to this message in a second by taking communion together because, y'all, this is not a message to go out and work harder and do better. This is a message to remember and to reflect and to give praise that Jesus has saved us and to remember that sacrifice. But that being as it is, we're gonna take communion and remember that. But in a room this size of those who might be watching me online, it's very possible that some of us are not yet a follower of Jesus. But as I talked about Jesus being fully relatable, you're like, ah, man, something stirs in your heart and you're like, I need somebody like that in my life. As I talk about him being wholly distinct and him dying on that cross to forgive sin and to bring redemption and to set people free, you're like, I need some of that in my life. I wanna give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because as we go to the table of communion, communion is only for those who are followers of Jesus. But the Bible also says that today is the day of salvation. Yes. Come on. And so if that's you, if you wanna accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as believing that his death on that cross paid the price for everything that you've done wrong, everything that you've said wrong, everything that you have thought wrong. And his resurrection guarantees you eternal life. And if you're ready to receive that free gift, then I wanna invite you to pray with me right now. All across this room, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. And if you wanna receive Jesus, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer. And church, I'm gonna ask us to do something. I want us to pray this prayer along with me out loud with volume as a symbol to those who are dedicating their lives to Jesus for the first time that we are with them, that they are part of our family and they don't have to do this alone. So as a church, let us say, Father God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me clean. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my God. Fill me with your spirit and lead me in the everlasting way. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. If you made that decision, congratulations on the best decision of your life. After we wrap up this evening, please don't rush to your car. Swing by our Next Steps tent. We have a Bible and some other resources we want to put in your hands. And for my friends online, if you prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you as well. Go to cfmiami.org slash connect. Fill out that connection card and check the boxes as I gave my life to Jesus.